2: Get in the know, non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and ScoreNorth.com.
1: All right, Purple Daily on draft every Monday on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. Declan Goff, Miles Gorham, Tyler Fornis here to break things down from a Vikings draft perspective. We do this once a week here on the Purple Daily network of shows on Apple, Spotify, Score North. Uh, app, YouTube Pay, Purple Daily YouTube page. Give us a like. Hit the subscribe button for daily Vikings entertainment. It's the first time, boys, in like six weeks we actually aren't celebrating a victory Monday. Uh There's a loss. Kind of forgot what this feels like. We were talking off mic. It kind of just puts a drag into your step on a Monday. I love a victory Monday. And uh after watching the Vikings kind of like puke down their leg a little bit to a degree yesterday against the Broncos, uh, just kind of puts a dwell feeling in it. But we're going to break things down uh, from uh, a draft perspective, and also what the Vikings can do here going forward. Uh, we will talk some cornerbacks as well. Mikai Blackman, a little, a little bit of an iffy day that we'll get into here. Uh, we have some listener feedback I'm excited to share as well. But uh, we really haven't on the main show of Purple Daily much. We've talked a little bit with Doogie, who's plugged in behind the scenes, about this. But it seems inevitable now that Justin Jefferson should be able to come back by next Monday. And if he's not at least activated, or at least not playing, he will be activated from that 21-day window, per se. So he's coming back, which is big. Uh, Miles brought up a point, I think, yesterday that is kind of rings rings true, is they missed him. Justin Jefferson, that is. They significantly missed him against the Broncos. It just didn't seem like the offense had as much spunk as it did in prior weeks. And even though, credit to them, hey, if we were to tell you that Justin Jefferson is going to be gone for six games, the Vikings are going to go... What five and one, four and one in that stretch? You would certainly would take it every single time, but yesterday there was just that missing ingredient, Miles. That just felt like once they get JJ back on the field here, like what is what does this offense look like to you? Is it? it just obviously on paper, it should take the next step, but what does this offense look like with Josh Dobbs and Kevin O'Connell uh, once Justin Jefferson is able to return from his injury?
0: I think you can look to get getting back to being a little bit more explosive in the passing game. I think that's the one thing we've really missed the last six weeks since JJ's been gone. Is really more of that true explosive passing game. They've had some explosive plays like Addison and Hawkinson have have made their plays here and there. But from a consistency standpoint, defenses like like a Broncos team last night isn't really going to fear them down the field because the Vikings like Addison's good, but Addison's not really the guy you're like too worried about down the field against their 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 DBs and um, Hawkinson's a really good like intermediate tight end and otherwise you don't really have anybody else to like threaten uh, vertically. And so as a Broncos team, they kind of just played shell defense. Like why, why would we be worried about us being, we're not going to get beat deep and just keep everything in front of us and, and make tackles. And obviously I think the, the offense moved the ball pretty well, as we saw, they were able to score, um, obviously miss some extra, some points um, on, on a few drives, but overall, they're able to move the ball pretty well uh, most of the game. And so I think getting JJ back really just gets you, obviously the best receiver in the game, but also just like that dynamic ability to win at all three levels of the field. And I think that they're just missing that one element to the offense. Um, be, again, besides just having the, that type of elite playmaker, but JJ really allows you to like be more explosive and he forces you to allow guys like Addison, KJ Osborne, Hawkinson to see more one-on-one coverage where, because you're all the attention is going to be on JJ. And then JJ still wins down the field anyways. So um, I just think it allows uh, someone like Dobbs to find a little bit more trust. And last night we didn't see as much separation from the receivers in a lot of instances that you would like to see in a lot of the one-on-one matchups. Now that they didn't lose every rep, it wasn't like that. But I, you just you saw a lot of like when you, they showed the uh, the um, end zone view of the of the a lot of the replays, you just saw a lot of guys op- like uh, not getting open. And that's why Dobbs would have to bail from the pocket or he'd take off and run because guys just weren't getting open consistently. And I think that really. Maybe I don't know if it spooked him, but it put him in a situation where he didn't really feel didn't look as comfortable as we saw him against the the Falcons or the the Saints last week.
1: It felt like to me forno like Addison was just like super quiet. He only had the three grabs for forty four yards, but he's kind of made his presence known in every game that Jefferson's been absent and yesterday kind of when he he hauled one in towards the end of the game, and I was like is that is that addison's first catch of the game, and now it wasn't, but I was like, he has been a ghost. I didn't even notice him barely on the field uh, against the Broncos. So what is uh, an offense, at least with Jefferson and Addison on the field when they were first in the field? I mean, there was some highs and lows and J.J.'s obviously going to do his thing. But in your mind, what does Justin Jefferson do for the rookie wide receiver Jordan Addison in this offense?
2: Yeah, it's going to do a lot. And I, I think one of the reasons so there are two reasons why I didn't think we saw much of Addison. One, they really focused on running the football and it was successful. They were able to move the ball and it didn't feel like it was the most consistent attack. Look, we just seem to face it. The Vikings don't have a good running back right now. They have two guys who are average to bad and Madison does a lot of the little things, right? But he's not overly explosive. He doesn't necessarily see very well in front of him. Whereas Ty Chandler's really good runs look incredibly explosive, but he doesn't do a lot of little things right and really struggles in zone concepts. So like it, the running game was where they wanted to attack. The Broncos were far and away the worst rush defense in the league, allowing twenty more yards per game than the thirty-first ranked defense. But that's part of the reason why Addison. The other one is like you're playing against Patrick Sertan, II, the second, arguably a top five corner in the league, and Josh Dobbs. Some of that uh, inaccuracies and by inaccuracies, and more specifically talking ball placement, really hindered the Vikings because there was a throw to Addison that the only reason Sertan got a pass breakup. Was be, It was thrown on his back shoulder rather than his front shoulder. So it's thrown front shoulder. Addison catches it. That's probably a 15-yard gain. First down. Keep the chains moving. Couple throws to TJ Hawkins on the outside. Not great placement. A little bit behind him or like right in front, like dead center instead of throwing out in front because you've got Simmons on this shoulder. So you want to throw it over here. Those little things add up. And those little things are something that Kirk Cousins did really, really well. A lot of it has to do with chemistry. And some of it just has to do with how Kirk Cousins plays the game. That's how he wins. He can't do some of the things that Josh Dobbs does. He can't run around and create outside of structure, but he can stand in the pocket and throw a missile with accuracy in the right place. Dobbs may never get that, but he also deserves time to try and figure that out because chemistry matters so much with these things. And I think that's one of the reasons why Dobbs wasn't able to really manifest a lot. with Addison down the field,
1: I turned my mic on properly. And Miles, if Addison or if uh, excuse me, if Dobbs and Jefferson come back here, I mean, we've saw, we've seen Dobbs do this creative stuff with his legs, right? He can roll out to the pocket. I thought the play where he threw the passing touchdown near the uh, near the goal line, I thought that was dead from the moment he started rolling out. And maybe that's just because I'm used to a non-mobile quarterback being able to make things happen with his legs. And I was even, I think there's even a couple explicitives that were thrown out in my mouth uh, the moment he was starting to roll out. But he makes this incredible play happen. And now he gets Justin Jefferson to help him do that. Uh, do you feel like Justin Jefferson is going to like even have more ridiculous highlight reel catches and moments because he has a mobile quarterback in Josh Dobbs?
0: Well, I mean, I obviously think chemistry is going to have to get built and trust between the two. But I think the one thing Dobbs is going to be able to do right away the second JJ is back in the field is he's going to be able to just know that, hey, if I put the ball in this guy's area, he's going to catch it. There was a play yesterday, I think Addison, it was kind of, like he ran a, uh, we call it like a seam fade route, basically a fade route from the seam, and I think J.J. catches that type of pass. I thought the pass was, it was outside of Addison's structure, a little bit further than you'd like it to be, but I think um, Addison kind of misplayed where the ball was going, and um, I think J.J. makes that type of play, and now that, that's just where I think growth from Addison's going to come, but I think when you have a Justin Jefferson back, you know, you could, some of those throws that Forno was talking about, of like some of the misaccuracies, JJ catches a lot of those passes just because that's just how good he is. And I think he can bail out a quarterback that might not have the pinpoint accuracy of a Josh Dobbs the way that Kirk Cousins does. And so I think there's a lot of that, like, maybe you can make up for, Um, but also just, again, a guy that you can trust. I think JJ comes back. I think Dobbs is going to roll out. And maybe instead of just taking off and running at times, he's going to be able to look downfield and find JJ and and take a shot at him because, hey – JJ's so JJ's down there somewhere, right? Isn't that what the, like I saw, what the Vikings tweeted about the, the Hawkinson throw yeah. last night, like JJ's down there somewhere too. Like, Hey, might as well give him a chance. And I think Dobbs is the type of player. If he's got a guy that he trusts, like he does in Hawkinson right now, he's going to force feed that guy to, the ball. And I, there's no reason that JJ won't, um, won't get forced fed that same type of way.
1: So we've talked about this a little bit in the last few weeks, and I, I don't know if it's a broken record or what, but obviously yesterday, Ty Chandler has another, Big game. At least he flashes when he when he gets the football. Efficiency wise, Madison didn't have a bad game. I mean, actually, you make the case maybe on paper he had his best game of the season. It just unfortunate he has a fumble that kind of completely swings the game. Right if the Vikings maintain possession there, even if they get three or they obviously get six, game is probably over in Denver. Unfortunately, he fumbles, creates some creates an opportunity for the Broncos and they end up winning the game uh, by the end of it. But Ty Chandler, I mean, we we talk about Justin Jefferson coming back. Is there more evidence here, Forno, that the at least split breakdown in between who's getting more touches between Addison and Chandler? Does this inch closer? Do you want to see Chandler take over the majority of these carries? Should it still remain the same? Uh, what, what did you see from Ty Chandler last night uh, that can get him in the ball in the offense a little bit more?
2: I'm going to be honest. It's a very complicated answer. And let's start breaking it down because I haven't been able to watch the All-22 yet. That's going to be on my agenda later today. And that's really going to tell all. Because it's not playing running back isn't just about getting the ball, hitting the hole, and getting yards. It's about the little things. It's about seeing which hole to hit. It's about pass blocking. And Chandler had a couple good reps early, but it was his block that he missed that was the catalyst of the interception. Those things matter to coaches. And those things don't necessarily get talked about or viewed upon as fa- as the fan base. Because you see, oh, this guy's way more explosive. Which, it, it's no contest. Chandler's way more explosive. He's got a 98 ninth percentile uh, third or 40 yard dash and a 99.7 percentile 10 yard split. The dude's explosive and that's his game. But if you don't do the little things right, they're not going to give you an opportunity to do those big things because of essentially if you know that the guy's a bad pass blocker and he's only in the ball and rushing downs, well, then they're just going to key in on it and all those little things add up and matter and that's why Madison's getting more of a run out snap tight Chandler 48 to 23. And if you take out the fake punt, which you have to kind of take out the fake punt because it's one, it's an offensive play, and two, it was a trick play. So those get skewed a little bit anyways. Just in their rushes on offense, Madison outrushed him 18 to nine and had a better yards per carry average, 4.5 to 4.2. It's not like Madison was bad. We just get frustrated, and he only has two official fumbles on the year, but those two that got called back uh, either by penalty or because he was down by contact, uh, or it, it might not have even been down by contact. It may have been forward progress, but the feeling is that Madison is a significantly worse player. But Ty Chandler's also like that new toy on Christmas, where yo know, Andy played with Woody for however <laughs> long, but he gets Buzz Lightyear. Oh, it's all about Buzz, and then Woody feels like neglected. That's it's kind of the same situation here. You want to utilize the new player because the new player is giving you something the other guy doesn't. That doesn't necessarily mean he's better. It's a very complicated answer. Personally, I would like to see Chandler get more run. I would like to see him get more opportunities because pass blocking was really good in college. That was one of the things that stood out to me on tape. So he has the ability. It's just being able to stay consistent with it at at the next level. So far, he hasn't done it. And that's why we're seeing more Madison.
0: Well, the complex complexities of blitzes in the nfl is so crazy that like mm-hmm. that's the difference between college and and pros for pass blocking chandler's the effort's not not an issue and i think that's a that's a big part of it it's about recognizing where the blitz is coming from and your inside out abilities because you always have to take the first inside guy but sometimes that inside guy's a, a guy coming off the edge it's it's there's so many like intricacies to to pass blocking for running backs but but to your point i think the one big thing like between him and madison is yeah madison fumbled yesterday but because of that missed uh, block and pass, bro, created a turnover, that might as well be a fumble from uh, from Ty, Tan- Ty Chandler. Like, it's not obviously viewed and, and counted that way in the stats, but, like, they both basically gave up a, a – had a um, – both had a, a turnover, essentially, and so that's, the, like, those small those little things that, like, we got to, like, make sure when we look at both running backs is, like, they both had a turnover yesterday, like, point-blank period, but I think the one thing that I saw yesterday with, with – uh um, uh, Madison and maybe when you're looking at the, the all 22 4 you could you could pinpoint it but it looked like they might have been running a little bit more inside zone for Madison um, compared to what they've been running recently because it looked like Madison was able to uh, make more cuts and, and uh, cutbacks and and reads that were different from like an inside gap like the the gap scheme where you know you have to kind of uh, one cut and go whereas Madison I think mm-hmm. can ha- have a little more free-flowing in the zone scheme so um, and I think he excels better in that, but I, that's what it looked like to me. But I, I could have been wrong. Obviously, I haven't gone back and watched, but it looked like they might have been running a little bit more inside zone to allow Madison a little bit more of that um, opportunity.
2: And it, it's, it's been evident for yeah. the last few weeks when Chandler's gotten more run. He thrives with gap because he doesn't have to see it. He knows, yeah. hey, yep. follow Reisner's butt into the a gap. Okay, easy, and then outrun somebody. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah. his game. And while he continues to develop some of that vision and utilizing uh, the zone blocking scheme and getting better with that. Just have him run through a hole and you can minimize some of those weaknesses and be able to maximize on his strengths.
0: This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackie and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind.
2: Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcast or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation.
1: On the defensive side of things, so Makai Blackman uh, kind of thrust it into a big role yesterday, and obviously Caleb Evans being out didn't help anything either, but um, a little bit of a rough game for the rookie, and that's going to happen, especially against two really talented wide receivers. I know Russ has, Russell Wilson, that is, has fallen off to a degree he's not the quarterback he was in seattle but he's still got really good playmakers in denver and they kind of came up big time uh when they needed him the most but do you still have good trust here miles that makai blackman can still be a number one cornerback and obviously the caleb evans factor too of him being out uh was that just probably a too tall of a task for a rookie to like just continue to play shut down and we not even continue but just to play shut down defense against a couple really good wide receivers in the denver broncos
0: yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that Blackman was asked to do last night that I don't know if he was asked to do all season was he moved all over. He wasn't just like in one place. They moved him on left and the right side of the formations. Um, that's tough. Like to be able to I don't know, I don't think he was trailing anybody specific, but I think the way their defenses were playing, he was just playing that maybe the strong side or the weak side of the of the formation. I'm not sure. But he definitely was playing on both sides of the of the of the ball or uh, on both uh, left and right side of the formation. And I think that in itself was really difficult for a any cornerback because it's hard to get into a rhythm, but at the same time, I think Blackman's got the skills and the ability. I just think it's reps. I just think there's like some nuances and things that like the offensive players are able to beat him on. I think there's some small things that he can learn from like the touchdown yesterday that he gave up against Sutton rather than trying to jump that. Like you're dude, you're ten. like you're not out jumping Cortland Sutton in that situation. So rather than like trying to go for the ball, like making a play on, on Sutton instead, like those types of things, I think, you know, awareness. And I think reps are just going to, are going to change and, and help create a lot of that opportunity for him. But, no, last night wasn't his best game, but I think it's it's one of those things that he's always still in position somewhere, and I think that's important. Like, you might not always make the play. You might not always um, – you might get beats. Like, there's some of these things, but he always seemed to be, like, within, like, the realm of reality where some guys, when they get beat, it's, like, it's by miles. Like, but Blackman overall seemed like he, he was in decent position for a lot of the plays. He just didn't make them. And I think that, that that's just going to come with reps. Now again, he also can't help being five ten or whatever size he is. Like where a Caleb Evans is like six one, six two, like in long arms. Like you can't help that. So I think there's just ways to play and, and how to adjust to to the, the game that way. Like against the Corland Sutton on the deep pass down the sideline, I, I tweeted. I was like, this is where they miss in a Caleb Evans because he helps make up for outstretched throws because he can he makes throws harder to make because he can he's got longer arms to kind of defend those passes and make them harder to see for the receiver. Blackman doesn't, so there's just different techniques you got to play with that kind of change that trajectory. I think against bigger receivers like a like a Cortland Sutton, but um, we also didn't see Andrew Booth Jr. last last night much. I didn't really. He I didn't saw play um, a single defensive snap, mm-hmm. and Blackman played 53 of 55. Well, and Joan Williams played like that was really weird to 17. me. Yeah, I, I not that he played a lot, but he played some. I just remember seeing him on the field. I was just I know we're I know we're talking Blackman, but. It just felt weird that like a game where you don't have Evans and Booth had been playing most of the year. He all of a sudden was not playing at all. So that one felt weird to me too.
1: Yeah. Forno, why why do you think Booth didn't end up getting on the field yesterday? I mean, to Miles point, he's kind of been now, he's kind of gotten back in the good gracious of the coaching staff. I know he had Donatel last year. Now he's got Flores this year, but he's flashed a little bit. He's kind of been able to get his way back into the field after being mostly a special teams or just sitting on the bench. Mm-hmm and yesterday you're without a Caleb Evans, and yes, you're still going against a couple really good wide receivers, but I guess amateur-wise, just from a 30,000-foot view, why did you think Andrew Booth wasn't really in the Vikings' defensive plans yesterday against Denver?
2: Couldn't tell you, and I think that's the most frustrating part because when you look at the matchups, why is Blackman that much better of a matchup than Booth? Is it just the consistency in practice? Like, over the last few weeks, they've been somewhat consistent. I think Blackman has out snapped him like three to two, which it's a significant amount when you extrapolate it across the course of like six games, but it's not like we're talking about somebody who's played a ton and then somebody who's not played at all for Booth to play no offensive snaps or defensive snaps. Excuse me. I thought was very odd. I didn't quite understand it and it's got to be something behind the scenes that we're just not privy to and I think we'll find out more as like next week against the the Bears. Is Blackman going to get that same snap share? Is Booth not going to play at all? And then maybe we can figure out, okay, maybe it's a trend. Or it could be that they just didn't want Booth in the game considering who the receivers were, and they believe Blackman was a better fit for what they were trying to do. I'm not really sure. It's the up and down nature of how these two cornerbacks have been played has been very odd so far. But if there's one thing that we should be doing is just trust Brian Flores. And he's, he's earned that throughout the course of the year with how he's um, navigated this defense. It's just really odd to see.
1: By the way, a little shout out to our friends here at three Jack and three Jack.com. You can go to three Jack in the North loop in Minneapolis, great golf simulator. Most courses are shutting down here, at least in Minnesota now. So if you want to get some swings in, Go to 3Jack, you can book a simulator bay on their website. They have great food options, too. It's not just golf, sims, and bays. It's great options for food or happy hour or even type of holiday get-together. I mean, you got friends coming to town for Thanksgiving this week, so if you want to get out there, go to 3Jack and 3Jack.com. You can inquire, too, about any private party at 3Jack. Go to 3Jack.com and hit their events page, their happenings page. They'll uh, have a full list of things that are happening at 3Jack in the North Loop in Minneapolis. And our friends at Underdog Fantasy, Underdog Fantasy, great way to get a sweat on games. You can join with promo code SCORE, S-K-O-R. They'll match your first deposit up to 100 bucks. It's a really fun way to kind of enjoy some games. You got a big Monday Night Football game as well between the Eagles and Chiefs rematch of the Super Bowl. So plenty of great things to get in on at Underdog Fantasy. Again, new users, promo code SCORE, S-K-O-R, and they will match your first deposit up to 100 bucks. Shout out to Underdog Fantasy uh, for helping out programming on Purple Daily. Uh, I do have a Caleb Williams question here, and uh, I feel like I should probably put it on the tee for Forno, who's been a little bit more critical of Caleb Williams. This is from uh, Rich in Oklahoma. He says, hey, Declan, I have a question for the PDOD show. Do you guys think Caleb Williams could be a Ryan Leaf-type bus? I could see teams uh, see him as as immature and not want to take a chance on him. The talk of not wanting to play for a bad team, allegedly wanting ownership in whatever team he drafts him, et cetera. I heard there were reports about that. Uh, some of his post game behavior. Is there Ryan leaf level bust to Caleb Williams? I know you've been more critical of him for now, but do you see Ryan leaf 2.0 printed on top of him?
2: I'm tired, man. I'm tired of this crap. Uh, and it, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's outside looking in like there's so many layers to this. And, and, and I, I, I want to say this and it, it's, it's just so frustrating because would we be saying about this if uh, this about Caleb Williams if he was white? Would any of this be a thing? No, it wouldn't. Williams is a passionate individual whose basically entire life has been devoted to the sport of football. He doesn't have to speak to the media and that tweet from Ian Rappaport on Sunday was one of the biggest loads of crap I've seen from any mainstream media. That was fed to him. Mm-hmm. by by somebody who wanted uh, slander on Caleb Williams. It was, it, was, it was a joke. Joe Burrow didn't have to do it, but he's also paid $55 million a year, and he is also at times required to speak to the media, so he chose to go out and do it, and you know what? Credit to him because he didn't have to do it. Kirk Cousins didn't have to come back on Friday and speak to the media two weeks after his surgery, but he did. Credit to those guys, but we don't use that to slander a college 21-year-old who is very frustrated with how the season's played out and put his heart and soul into it. It, It's, it's a load of crap.
0: And yeah, if USC wants to pay him to go talk to the media, like then pay him to talk to the media, but they don't pay him. So you don't have to talk to the media. And Lincoln (laughs) Riley is like the most secretive coach of all time in college football that you go
2: talk to any Oklahoma beat writer. And you read some of the stuff that's coming out of USC Like a guy, uh, a beat reporter was walking out of practice and asked a player a question. He got his credentials pulled for two weeks. Like Lincoln Riley is a known, like, I I don't even know the right word. He is, he's kind of psychotic with how he handles the things with the press. And like, it's, it's, I just hate it. Uh, Caleb Williams is a very special talent. And I've been critical of his on-field ability. If he wants to go in the stands and be emotional with his mom, I don't care. I don't think that's going to qualify him to be a Ryan Leaf level bust. Like
0: anybody could be a Ryan Leaf level bust. But wasn't Ryan Leaf on drugs? Like no, and I know he's a, he's like recovered he, and he and was like, post NFL career. To my okay. knowledge, he
2: was not during his career. Okay. But the, and so I'm not trying to slander Ryan no, Leaf either by the way, but it, it's it's just getting the facts out there to like Caleb Williams Deserves to be judged based on how he's passionate. And let's also remember his dad came out and said all those things about not wanting to play for certain teams, wanting partial ownership. Like if you've ever seen little league parents yell at umpires <laughs> because of a missed ball or strike, like parents do crazy stuff for their kids. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't use what his dad is saying against him because, until he says flat out yes or no. I agree with that. I want partial ownership. Until he says that, just leave the kid alone, man. Let, judge him for his on-field work. His on-field work, he's a top five, top ten pick.
0: Likely goes number one overall. I'm, I'm gonna fight this narrative all year. It's it's a bunch of crap. I'm gonna fight the narrative, but I think the hard part is like he's gonna have this kind of attention the rest of his life, his rest of his career, because that's just like kind of what he signed up for. But I'm with you, and like, there's a lot of like the the like bull BS that like he shouldn't have to deal with, but like some of it is stuff that he's just going to have to deal with, deal with and work through. Mm -hmm. But as he's also, like you said, 21 years old. So like, I don't like that. We treat these kids, these young adults, as if they are supposed to be 30 plus year old, like mature, mature adults. Like that's just not, he hasn't had to experience that yet. Like let him like, let life kind (laughs) of wear, maybe life's got to wear him down a little bit, but it's like a good growth opportunity for him because I think this is, and But, like, I also think people, the way people beat people down even more now in the media and social media, all these things, like, it's just unnecessary. Like, Mm -hmm. that Ian Rappaport thing was just unnecessary. It doesn't – you don't need to equate what professionals are doing at 26 years old, the highest-paid player in the league, or 35-year-old quarterback veterans in the league, what they're doing. Like, when he gets to the league, we can start judging him based off of what he's doing in the league. But let's kind of let him be a college kid and and try to enjoy his time while he's there. But at this, like, I understand the scrutiny I do because there's a lot of it that comes with kind of the nature of the business, the position. But I, I just think people take things – they always take things way too far, and it's just not necessary to take things as far as people do. And people get so personal. If they take they, – they, like, will get so personal with these kids. Like, he's a – like, you don't – we don't know him. I don't know Caleb Williams. All I've done is know what I've seen and, like, what we've heard. But, like, other than that, you can't really take it for anything other than that. And I think uh, I'm not mad at someone saying like Ryan Leaf because it's always it's it's easy to always ask the question. Is this person going to be a bust anytime someone's going to league? Because we've seen the best prospects become busts. We've seen lower level players become great players. So, like, there's all that in between, too. So it's really an easy question to ask, but it's, it's a really hard question to answer.
1: Really therapeutic stuff here. This is, this is all good stuff to get out here. I like this. We're all, we're all, we're all exercising some demons. I like it. Um, another one here from Kenneth on our YouTube channel. He says, can we, we can probably keep Josh Dobbs and Jaron Hall on the team, be able to pay Hunter, JJ and draft the best player available. My take is there'll be six quarterbacks in the top 20 picks. I believe is what he's trying to say here. And we'll be picking on the back end, no matter where we're at. Just go best player available. No jumping back then up. Are jumping uh, uh, back up as well. How much do you weigh sometimes just doing BPA, right? Like, best player available over position of need. Now, I'm not trying to say, like, you reach because you really need a guard or something, but how much, I guess, do you weigh 4-0 sometimes BPA versus, like, taking a potential franchise game-changing quarterback if he is on the board?
2: BPA is an interesting proposition because when you go into draft rooms, they structure it based on need. And guys who are at a position of need are going to be prioritized more heavily than a guy who's not. And like I kind of related to when the Packers took Aaron Rodgers in 2005, they didn't need a quarterback. They still had a few more years of Brett Favre, but they took the guy because they thought he could be really special. And you know what? He fell this far. It it would be dumb not to take him because of where you were sitting. And that's where kind of that value uh, constraint comes into play as well. If you believe that a guy is a true franchise uh, quarterback and can be an elite game changer, then you take him and you don't think twice about it. And the Vikings did not believe Will Levis was that guy at 23. So they said no, even though quarterback was a need and it is based on almost every analytic measure, the most valuable position. If he's, if you don't deem him good enough, don't take him. And that's, that's where I think the Vikings should be with quarterback. I will fight back. I don't think the, there are going to be six quarterbacks in the top 20 because I think a lot of those guys that we've been talking about all year are going back to school. Jordan Travis broke his leg this weekend. He already said he's going back to school. Cam Rising, he's been out all here, but he's going back to school. Shedder Sanders, going back to school. Cam Ward would be a fool to not go back to school. Quinn Ewers is already rumored going back to school. Jalen Daniels from Kansas is going back to school. So a lot of these guys that we've had some conversations about they're already going back, and I think you may see three or four. Um, Bo Nix is going to be probably the biggest divide among analysts this year. I don't think he's a he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. I don't think he's a uh, a first or second round pick. And then you have Michael Penix Jr., who I think is just a Saturday quarterback, but he could go in the and in the first or second round. And then you have Michael Pratt, who's got a lot of intangibles, doesn't have a lot of the arm strength. JJ McCarthy is a really weird prospect for a lot of reasons, a lot of tools, but there's rumors he's going to go back to school. Like it's, it's too much of an unknown. Just take good football players, get good football players on this team. And if that happens to be a quarterback and you believe in, you believe in this quarterback, then you just take him and don't think twice. But I think the Vikings will have at least a somewhat of a contingency going into the draft because of how much unknown with this class there's going to be.
1: Are you a big best player available guy, Miles? Are, are you? And when in doubt, do you just kind of go BPA? Uh, what is your kind of take on the BPA? Cause I know it's, it's like a divided thing sometimes, not just like in the draft community people, but just like with football fans, just like our listener pointed out. It's like, just take BPA, just take best player available, I guess. What is your kind of thoughts on when the Vikings are on the clock or when any team is on the clock and taking the BPA?
0: Yeah, I mean, I typically like to lean, and I know this is uh, probably unpopular. I don't know anymore with you know we'll how people view analytics and whatnot, but I think uh, like high priority positions, you know, quarterback, uh, offensive tackle, cornerback, wide receiver, edge rusher. Those are like the uh, those are the positions to me that um, I really view as like the like high priority positions. And if there isn't a, like what I view like a first round level player, like that's how I view BPA, and then I view guys below that. Not that like those other positions can't have um, high-end players. Like that's like Quentin Nelson as a, as a prospect obviously made sense that he was a top 10 pick. Like he was, he was an elite level prospect, but I also just believe that like positional value matters. And I think that I try to view it in that lens a little bit, not so much about like what just an immediate need is. I think so, too often we focus on, hey, what's the team's immediate need and thinking that it needs to be filled like in the first or second round or that it can always be filled in the first or second round of every draft. That's just not always possible. Um, but I just kind of view it as like best player available at a high value position. And if you can get that guy, if that guy lines up with where, with where you're at and what, um, and, and, and to kind of the point of like a need does play a factor. I understand that whether it's short or long-term need. Um, but I always think like if a player is good enough and you view them good enough, you're going to find a way to have, have them make an impact on your team. Um, even if you have positions like if you have an edge rush, if you have two edge rushers already, um, and you and you view an edge rusher as that like that guy's the premier position and the best player available, why not take him? I mean that that's another like Micah Parsons. I don't think the Cowboys exactly needed Micah Parsons when they took him, but like look what that he's been able to do to transcend that defense. Like those types of moves and positions, like teams are like it's smart to take best player available, but like need doesn't always have to be immediate. A need a need can be two years down the road where you know you have a guy that's up for new money that you don't want to resign, those types of things, like there's so many things that factor into it um, rather than just, like, what's right in front of you right this second.
1: Borno, any uh, college football takeaways? I know we're getting kind of closer and closer here to the end of, like, some conference regular seasons and stuff. We're still a few weeks away. Uh, anything standing out from you after a uh, epic weekend of college football?
2: I think we need to talk about Carson Beck from Georgia being a legit draft yeah, prospect. He I, I feel like he's going to go back to school. Uh, he's a third-year junior, and this is his first year as a starter. It, it was a little rocky early on just adjusting, but then once he got a little comfortable, he was making real NFL throws. I'm talking fitting into windows, um, layering the ball over defenders, and it helps when you have Brock Bowers, but that receiving core, you're not talking about them really being anything special. It's a bunch of talented dudes that have really never been on any kind of development track to be that guy. Like There's no George Pickens in this group. There just isn't and he has done a really good job navigating the pocket and making solid NFL level throws to all levels of the field. I don't know what the ceiling is for Carson Beck, but if you want a baseline starter, he I think he's going to give you that. And it wouldn't shock me like you put CJ Stroud into a Shanahan style offense, look at what he's going to be able to do. I think Carson Beck like in a, in a similar vein could be able to do some of those things. And I'm not saying he's on the same level, but you look at the general construct of what Stroud is doing that that fits back. And I want to continue to see him progress moving forward. They play Georgia tech this weekend, which is probably going to be a blowout, even though that Georgia tech spe- team has been spunky and fun this year. And then you have uh, the game against Alabama in two weeks. That's going to be a fascinating one, especially if Bama wins and Georgia loses, what happens with the playoff? Does Georgia still make it in as a three or a four seed? Uh, I- I have a lot of questions that I'm excited to answer, but Carson Beck looks like the real deal.
1: All good stuff here. Purple Daily on Draft every Monday, right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. If you want us to break down or have any notes or observation on any college uh, prospect, quarterback, defensive end, wide receiver, doesn't matter, uh, we'll break it down every Monday, right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel on Purple Daily on Draft. For Miles Gorham, Tyler Fornas, Declan Goff here, hit that subscribe button for daily Vikings entertainment. This has been Purple Daily. We just want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl before we die.